Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It was in the Three Johns pub in Islington, London in 1903 that Vladimir Lenin and Leon Trotsky allegedly met with other exiles of the Tsarist regime to push for a violent Russian revolution, an end to the monarchy. In that same pub, over 100 years later, I met up with the historian and author Sir Anthony Beaver to talk about this history and his new book, Russia, Revolution and Civil War, 1917 to 1921. Together, we discussed the February and October revolutions of 1917, the fall of the weak Tsar Nicholas II, the failure of Kerensky's provisional government, and the role of the First World War in creating the discontent that allowed Lenin to thrive in the chaos. Now, I know you're going to love this one, so we recorded it. You can watch the full video interview now as a History Hit documentary for free on the History Hit YouTube channel. Just click the link in the show notes. But now here is Sir Anthony Beaver on the Russian Revolution. Enjoy. Anthony, we are here in the Three Johns in Islington in London. It was here, allegedly, that Vladimir Lenin stood up and pushed for a more violent revolution, a violent overthrowing of the Tsar. Would you argue that it's here, in this room, that the political seeds of the Russian Revolution were sown? I think that would be rather a sweeping statement, to put it mildly. No, not necessarily. But it certainly marked one step towards the Bolshevik seizure of power later. I see. So, when it comes to Lenin himself, what is it that motivated him in this revolution? Now, of course, he had so many personal motivations. His brother had been killed. He had been exiled himself to Siberia. There was a bounty on his head. But politically, what is it that motivated him? The execution of his brother was definitely one of the key elements, there's no doubt. He was motivated purely because he was convinced that only intense violence, the total destruction of the past, would make a re-establishment of Tsarism irrecoverable and impossible. And that actually, as we'll probably see later on, was one of the reasons even behind the execution of the Tsar and the imperial family. He encouraged later on, once uh, during the summer of 1917, the destruction of manor houses, of the property of the rich. All of this was to make the hope of moving backwards absolutely unthinkable. 
Was there anything that the Tsar could have done at this period in time to reverse his fortunes, the fortunes of his family? Was this something that was pretty much written in the sand from his father and his grandfather already? There was already that potent resentment within the Russian people. He had to go. Well, when one's thinking about the Russian people at this particular time and their resentments, one is talking basically of the huge peasantry, the vast majority of the population, and the way that they had been treated ever since 1861, even though that was the year of their, supposedly their liberation from the serfdom, they were still trapped by debt and could hardly leave their villages and so forth. And they were oppressed, of course, by the Orthodox Church, which refused to educate them because they thought that would, was one way of keeping them quiet. Those who escaped to the cities to join the factories, which were starting to boom by the end of the 19th century and the early 20th century, were living in appalling conditions of squalor, mis disease, misery. So there was a lot to resent. They also saw the way that there was no infrastructure, that the Tsarists were wasting their money on building more elaborate cathedrals and churches, and on an army with huge numbers of basically troops uh, who were there for parades, particularly in the summer, where they had great parades purely for the vanity of the Grand Dukes and the Tsar. So there were very many good reasons for resentment. And there were members of the aristocracy who were appalled at the way that things were going. They knew that this was going to lead uh, to worse than even unrest. It was going to be to revolt. And that started really in 1905 with the disaster of the Russo-Japanese War. And there were, some people even referred to it as a revolution, but of course it wasn't. But there were many brutal revolts which were uh, cruelly put down in large areas. So altogether, although Nicholas II was a very weak monarch, as everyone uh, saw and knew, he just wanted to spend time with his family. In fact, Vasily Shulgin, a very influential right-wing uh, politician, said, you know, autocracy without an autocrat is a terrible thing. Now, it's funny how wars can act as a catalyst for the end of regimes, especially the faltering in wars, as Russia did against Japan. But we can't fail to mention the First World War here as well. Was that a contributing factor in the revolution? Hugely. I mean, all wars are an accelerator based of technology and of social change. It's always been, more or less, always been the case in history. And certainly the First World War was. The Tsar was in two minds about the First World War. He was being pressured by, for example, Rasputin, his wife's advisor, and therefore uh, who had a tremendous effect and influence on him because he was anti-war. But Nicholas had been pressured so much in the sense that any threat from Austria-Hungary against the Serbs, and because of the sort of fellow Slavs, they felt obliged to support them, meant that he was prepared to allow mobilization on the southern part of the Eastern Front. But at the same time, then um, he was told, well, we've also, because of the military plan, uh, we've also got to mobilize against the Germans. And that was actually one of the key factors in the development of the whole of the First World War. And of course, for the peasantry, above all, who provided the bulk of the conscripts forced into the army, it was a total disaster. And most of them were given farewells from the villages by people basically knowing that they'd never see them again. And this had always been the case, really, with the Tsarist army. And so was there pressure back home from the families that this couldn't be allowed to happen again? They wanted their youngest, their best, their brightest, their children back home with them. 
Well, of course, they didn't want any of them to be taken, taken away. But, you know, that was the law. And the land captains and others who were in charge of the rural areas made sure that they had sufficient garrisons to, um, if necessary, march them off a burnet point. So really, serfdom hadn't come to an end at all? Not really, no. And of course, the equipment was so appalling. They didn't have proper uniforms. Um, Many of them, in fact, in a short time, their boots fell to pieces. And some of them were almost either barefoot, and you can imagine on the sort of eastern front how appalling it was, or were simply had boots or shoes made out of birch bark. So with all of this in mind, I mean, it's a a pretty disquieting period. You wouldn't want to be living in Russia during this time. And it's because of this that the the revolution starts. Well, I say starts. There's many different times that historians have said that the Russian Revolution begins. When would you argue that it actually begins? Well, the the two revolutions, I mean, people talk about it, they often think actually of the October Revolution when the Bolsheviks took power. Yes. But actually the real revolution was the February Revolution, which was totally unexpected. There was actually plenty of grain in Russia at the time. The trouble was that the winter was so cold that all of the transport was frozen solid. And so the bread routes began in uh, Petrograd, the capital. But then finally, there were two major demonstrations on the 23rd of February. One was because it was International Women's Day, and the other was of women complaining about the lack of food. Yes, and they rose up in the streets. They were protesting themselves. Yes, absolutely. And even the Bolshevik leaders, and there were very few left in Petrograd at that particular time, um, thought, well, this is just another bread riot. And, um, you know, as soon as they get enough bread in, it'll come to an end. Just as, as that happened before, many times over. As it had often happened. And so they never took it seriously. And, of course, they had no leaders at that particular point because Lenin was in Zurich, Trotsky was in North America, and Stalin, not that he was an important character at that particular stage, was still in Siberia. So this was purely spontaneous. And the reason, therefore, why the Bolsheviks later insisted that the start of the revolution was when part of the garrison really joined the civilian masses, when the Volinsky guards actually started shooting down one or two of their officers and all the rest of it. That's why they wanted to cover it up, because that was, of course, a Bolshevik who uh, was involved. But uh, I would have said it was actually the start. It was the International Women's Day. And I think very striking, of course, was that actually there was much more of a feminist movement at this particular time in Russia. And when the end of the February Revolution and we have the provisional government, women actually get the vote in Russia before any other European country, which one tends to overlook and forget. And they they get given equal status to men in Russia as well. Yes, but let's face it, a lot of the men didn't exactly change their behaviour as a result of that. And a lot of the men didn't have many rights in the first place either. No, but I mean, the fewer rights you had, the more you tried to impose it. That's a knock-on theory of oppression. Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. And so how does the February Revolution end? What are the gains that are made? Well, the major gain, of course, is uh, the total fall of the Tsar. I mean, what really, I think, shook the Tsar, who was, remember, uh, he was in command of the armies at the Stavka in Mogilev, which is more or less on the Polish border, he had sort of always believed that sort of, you know, the army was loyal. And when it, as soon as he started to hear that actually they'd crossed over, and especially the Cossacks, who'd always been the most ferocious supporters of the monarchy, he realised that that was it. And all he wanted to do was to get back to his family. I mean, he'd never wanted to be Tsar in the first place. I mean, he'd only been in tears when his father died, not just out of affection, 
but out of fear of the responsibility being thrust on his shoulders. And his father died quite prematurely, quite suddenly. He did, yes, indeed, died in the Crimea. And the Tsar sort of literally collapsed on the on shoulders of all of his Tsar family, and, you know, saying, I basically, I don't want it, but, you know, he had no choice. Hi there. I'm Don Wildman, host of the new podcast, American History Hit. Twice a week, I'll be exploring stories from America's past to help us understand the United States of today. Join me as I head back in time to witness Thomas Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence, head to the battlefields during the Civil War, visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with English colonists, tour Central Park before it was Central Park, and a city in Tennessee which helped build the atomic bomb. From famous battlefields to secret cities, from familiar names to lesser-known events. I'll speak with leading experts from across the United States and beyond to bring American history to life. Join me every Monday and Thursday for American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So the Tsar steps down, the Tsar's still alive at this yes. point, and then we move through to October. But what happens between the February uh, and the October? Well, this is, um, this is the most important and, in a way, the saddest part of the whole story, because we have, with the collapse of the Tsar, the Duma to avoid the Russian parliament. Although it's been officially disbanded by the Tsar, gives itself the authority to take over. And you have two factions, one which is a sort of centrist conservative faction led by Rodzianski, and the other, in fact, is basically the Petrograd Soviet from 1905, which has sort of reformed itself, which is much more socialist, of course. 
And they become a sort of a new form of double-headed eagle, if you like, but were prepared to work together up to a certain point. And there was only one person actually who had real influence, and this was Kerensky, because based as a socialist, he in fact he had a seat on both on the Petrograd Soviet and on the Committee of the Duma, which was the more conservative one. But they managed to keep things with an impression of actually power and became a provisional government. But of course, they had no power at all. The police had been chased away or killed. There was no authority in the countryside. And this is when the attacks on manor houses and so forth began. And in the city, really, they had no control over the killings, the robberies, as self-appointed red guards, you know, would go around to people's houses saying, we're searching for arms, but of course then helping themselves to anything they could find. So chaos was beginning at that particular stage. But this was the tragedy, because this was the moment when the only part, really, of a sort of democratic Russia could have actually developed. But as the great Alexander Herzen had sort of predicted in the 19th century, when he talked about the pregnant widow, he said, you know, that this is this moment of vacuum of power when the next regime has not yet sort of come to life. And because, in fact, of course, they were trying to prepare elections to the Constituent Assembly, which is going to be their new parliament, with free elections for everybody, women and men included. But the Bolsheviks were able to sabotage a number of things along the way because they needed the destruction and the chaos. Again, Lenin's idea of making the past uh, irrecoverable. And at the same time, there were always so many questions being raised, the impatience by the uh, peasants saying, why can't we take over the land? You know, it's now should be ours. And they said, well, you've got to wait until the Constituent Assembly is ready. So there was always this question, you know, it was like sort of jam tomorrow, but it was never jam today. And there was tremendous frustration, therefore, in the countryside. And this is where Lenin was so brilliant with his three great lies. He saw that, first of all, uh, he promised the factories to the workers and to their Soviets, which were their committees, uh, taking over the factories, without, of course, revealing that the plan for the, of the Bolsheviks was to take over the power of the Soviets through the state and the party. He promised the land to the peasants by simply sort of saying, and this was the policy actually of the left socialist revolutions, which he despised and hated, but of course he grabbed their policy because he knew it was the only way to win over the peasants by promising the land to them. So land and liberty to the peasants. And he promised peace to the soldiers, when in fact, of course, he was intending to change the imperialist First World War into an international civil war. Those were the three lies on which basically the whole of the Soviet Union was founded. And they were brilliant, um, because that was when the tiny, tiny Bolshevik party, who nobody had taken seriously as a threat, suddenly started to bring in huge numbers of recruits, particularly obviously in the proletariat sectors, the industrial workers of the northern cities, uh, rather than other areas. But the Bolsheviks don't win that small election, those, those first seeds at trying to establish some sort of democracy in Russia. So how do they end up in power by October 1917? Bolsheviks did certainly increase their numbers, but uh, to Lenin's fury, they found that they only got about one third of the votes when it came to the Constituent Assembly elections. That was not an entirely accurate representation because at this stage, it was actually the socialist revolutionaries who were the largest party in the whole of Russia, but the left faction was basically going to ally with the Bolsheviks and support them. But even so, for most of Russia, certainly for the Volga region and particularly the Caucasus and around there, they were in quite a small minority. 
And uh, Lenin, of course, had been saying that the only, and this is the great argument really within the Central Committee of the Party, ever since his arrival at the Finland station, you know, many weeks after the initial revolution, Lenin's uh, great argument was sort of our only chance is civil war. Civil war is the sharpest form of class conflict. But he wanted to annihilate the whole of the bourgeoisie and of the aristocracy. And this is where one sees that actually the policy was one of class genocide. Interestingly, when it came after the Second World War in the United Nations, and they were debating the whole question of the definition of genocide, uh, the Soviet Union, needless to say, put in a veto that any question of class genocide should be included under the definition of genocide, because otherwise it would have reflected very much on the origins of the Soviet Union itself. And so it's here that the Russian Revolution, that revolutionary period, comes to a close. The Tsarist era comes to an end and the Russian Civil War begins, that Red Terror. Anthony, thank you so much for your time today, for taking us from, well, this very room where, allegedly, Lenin stood all the way through to the end of the revolution. Thanks for listening, but before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at James Rogers History, and on TikTok also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.